Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and you are... John Pigeon. And we are in Adelaide. Hello Adelaide. Yeah. They are a rowdy bunch and we've had so much fun trekking around the country. We have landed in Adelaide and it's bloody freezing. It is colder than I expected. I haven't been here for eight years, but uh, it it was colder than Hobart. Yeah. But it's warm people. Warm. Please. Hey guys, Glenn here. Thank you so much for coming out to Adelaide, everybody. You'll probably hear this episode and think, geez, he's cut all the crap out and absolutely we like to keep the episodes as tight as possible. We can't do this national tour without Bricklet. If you want to be on the property ladder sooner and you haven't heard about Bricklets, then now is the time. Smaller pieces of property are a reality. You can head to bricklet.com.au for more info. And just last week or one of the last episodes in your player was a deep dive with Bricklet. And Open Trader. Open Trader is Australia's most competitive self-directed retail trading platform for professional traders and those who want to invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. You can head to opentrader.com.au and we'll also do a deep dive with Open Trader very soon. And now I'll hand it over to one of our biggest M3 listeners and fans in Adelaide, Daniel. He's going to do the acknowledgement. Thanks, mate. It was great to meet you. We acknowledge the Ghana people, traditional custodians of the land on which we stand and pay respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be with us tonight. First up, we've got Tim and Tim's going to read a question. Can you go from being a spender to a saver? Ooh, John, can you go from being a spender to being a saver? You would know this. Well, I would. And I honestly think the answers, it might be no, but I think we need to get to the point where we're self-aware enough to know our natural proclivity. For example, you know, you might get to the point where it's like, oh no, I know that when I drink too much, I'm an arrogant asshole. So I'm going to tone that down or, you know, when I get in a relationship, I'm a stage three clinger or something like that. But once you know, you can be self-aware enough. Mm. So I'm a natural spender by nature. I shared with the group earlier, John, that I went shopping in Adelaide, um, what's it called? Mall? Arcade. Arcade, thank you. I went shopping in Adelaide Arcade today, bought something. It was random. It was a spender. I didn't wake up needing it but I've got thresholds in my life so I don't overcook it. Yeah. And so what I've become, Tim, I'm a really crap saver and I'm a spender, but I've changed my mindset to be a really good investor. And that's why I cap out my super every year because one, I'm thankfully in a position where I can do that, but I know if the money is invested out of sight, out of mind, I won't get my little mitts on it and spend it. Yeah. So I think 
maybe that does mean, well, it doesn't actually know because I, where's my coins? <laughs> so I, I think I'll always be a spender. I mean, uh, JP and the team, hi JP, thank you so much. Like I had to ask her, <laughs> can we put my 500 on the bar? Because I'm just like, yeah, whatever. But JP's nature is different to mine and would like to not blow budget. So <laughs> well, do you have any comments on that, John? Yeah, I like the word threshold because um, I think I don't like giving ourselves a label, spender or saver. I, I Like you hear the comment, I was never good at maths. Well, of course you weren't because you told yourself you weren't. So I think you can tell yourself a good story. So if you're a spender or a saver, like just get that out of the, the vocab and just start working on the habits and have your thresholds that are going to get you towards where you want to get to. So because I think like no one's perfect and we don't want to be or, or we shouldn't be striving to be perfect because that can bring some sort of uh, um, deflating in our life. But if I look at my transition into adulthood, I came out of um, university on pretty good income as a teacher. For anyone who's a teacher in the room, that you come out on pretty good income. And I was blowing all of it, right? Every week it was there was no, nothing left. Um, and it was just that excitement of knowing uh, that I had money for the first time in my life for uh, at least a substantial amount from what I was compared to at uni life. But then I got to the stage where self-taught, thinking, well, this isn't going to get me anywhere because these short-term splurges aren't make, making me any happier. So then we started to have our own little thresholds that Glenn spoke about to say, well, this is what we might allow ourselves to do because we've got a, a bigger picture. So it's having a long-term goal in mind and just um, telling yourself a good, good yarn. So in my own life, I've set a, a 1% threshold and you might choose to have a half percent or one percent, whatever that is. So for me, um, you know, if you earned eighty thousand dollars a year, paid twenty thousand dollars tax, and your net annual income was sixty thousand dollars, one percent of that six hundred dollars, you might say, in my life, I don't spend more than six hundred dollars without sleeping on it. So for me to walk through Adelaide Arcade and buy these little collectible coins today, they were well under the threshold that I've set for myself. So yeah, it's a great question. I'm going to go is. up. That's a very good one. Thanks, Tim. I might ask John to come up to the stage. Not you, but the other John. Come up, John. Give him a hand, everyone. <laughs> and this is, you know, you might believe in serendipitous moments and all that stuff. I know we do, don't we? Yes. That <laughs> um, the game that we played before tonight, because I asked Johnny, he told me about his story, and I asked him if he could come up and share, and he was. Uh, grateful. I'm grateful that you have. The question that he got on his seat was, what was the biggest challenge in your life that you overcame? So, John, tell us maybe four years ago what your financial situation was. Uh, pretty much dead broke, uh, 30 grand debt. 30 grand debt? Yeah. What on? Uh, just a loan. Personal Stupid loan? Stupid loan, yeah, personal loan. What did you buy? Uh, well, did you buy a car, then blew some of it. What type of car? No, oh, just a runabout, so yeah. nothing special. Yeah. So, so, and, and, and a motorbike, but yes. Yeah. And I, well, I always ask these questions because I love cars, I love motorbikes, I love boats. Um, so how old are you now? 28. So you're 28, so you're 24 years old, your life's a financial mess? Yep, 
partying every week. Good life. Uh, yeah. No job, like just uh, out of an apprenticeship as well. So, yeah. yeah. And what's your trade? Uh, electrician. Sweet. So you're on a really good track to make some good money, but you're pissing your money up the wall. Yep. You're in personal loan debt. And then what's happened over the last few years? The, the start of it, I pretty much, I, so I got a good job and then I just shut myself off from a lot of the people that weren't sort of in the right mindset I wanted to be in, uh, bringing me down the wrong path. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, that, then that was pretty much everyone. So I shut myself <laughs> off to everyone. Um, yeah, and pretty much uh, when I had my job, I honestly, to the, to the truth, like maybe one or two meals a day and then, you know, with whatever money I had to spare after just trying to knock that debt off in, a, in one year. So, oh yeah, one more day and I, you know, I was, I was embarrassed so I didn't go to my parents or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, yeah. And, yeah, I think, you know, they weren't too happy with me when I got all this debt but then, you know, they wouldn't give me a break, that's for sure. But then they finally realised, you know, I was pulling my head in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. And then you good. found the podcast and the yep, community yep. and really, so what, like you started to get really dialled in you got your life kind of financially on track. Yeah, financially on track. I um, yeah, and after, after listening to your podcast, I sort of realised I was doing the right steps. Um, that was good, and then I just wanted to find out ways to sort of you know make my money more. Yeah, um, and better better things to do with my life and my money. So this is the amazing story. Within four years, from going to minus thirty thousand dollars without any good goals or directions. How much do you have saved now, John? So I have 120 um, and then I oh, just threw in about 30 into shares. So I'm hoping they take off maybe, yep. but now more ETFs hopefully. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, no, yeah. but like I've got a 30 grand inheritance coming in. So uh, yeah, my plan is not to blow that at yeah. all. And, and that's just, give him a round of applause because I've got like shivers because – and the crazy thing is, and where's the inheritance coming from? Uh, my grandpa. Yeah. Uh, he, he's honestly like, so that's what I sort of want to aspire to. So he was an electrician himself and he, you know, back 1950 or whatever, he's buying houses for seven grand. But, you know, he, he didn't blow his money and he saved up and he got like four or five houses. But he bought them all in an essay. So... He sort of land tax hit him <laughs> when the houses went like this. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what they say oh, with gift it. horses. That's it. <laughs> Give them a good slap. No. Um, so I just, I just hypothesise that you just wonder, would the inheritance have come if your financial life wasn't in order? Like you just – because now that money that your grandfather worked so hard for, you're going to invest it into a home or into your own home, that money will never, ever, ever be lost where you could have got that 30 grand inheritance. If you got that 30 grand inheritance four years ago, it oh, would have yeah, been a would, motorbike, would, would, it would have been some beers, yep. it might have been cars, but it's just so amazing. Once you get dialed in, you get on track, you get encouraged. And if, there's, if you're ever asking a reason why we'll keep doing this podcast, it's for 24-year-old John in Adelaide. I sort of, I really wanted to buy a house. Before he passed, just to say, you know, because he realised I was on the right plane. I just wanted to do it to, you know, make him proud. But, um, yeah, yeah, I know that's what he wanted to go to. So, yeah. Well, the cool off, thing but. is one day you'll have grandchildren yep. and you can show them what you've done and pay it forward. 
That's it. We're trying to show my mates and trying to tell them about the podcast, but well, they got other ideas, and I'll let them do that. I'll sit and, back and, this and watch is it. Them. Like, so for anyone who bags you or whatever, or tries to bring you down, like, oh no, do it this way, yeah, do it this not way. Not going out, yeah, oh, but just say to them, well. "You do that, I do this. We'll compare notes in twenty years." That's it. That's all you got to do. That's and exactly right. So give him a hand. Thank you so much for coming along. Thanks, John. <laughs> so the next question's from Tom Howland. But Tom is actually unwell and couldn't make it. However, his dad came along with his partner, Beck. Tom's partner, Beck, not your partner. <laughs> Good clarification. <laughs> yeah. So this is David, Tom's dad, and he's going to read that on behalf of Tom. So you guys are hearing this question for the first time like me. <laughs> Can you identify the key indicators to research when looking to buy a home? with an owner-occupier focus that could be held onto as an investment. Sexy. Do you want to answer that or do you want me to have a dig? <laughs> uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, because I've got one or two things to say. No, we'll say them then. <laughs> so for me personally, if I'm going to live in a place, I want it to be good enough for me to enjoy to call home, you know, I'm not buying a house, I'm buying a home and all that crap, right? So like I always say, you always really want in your financial life, one eye on right now, but one eye on the future. One eye on the right now means that, well, if I'm going to live in it, I don't want to live on a main freaking road because I hate traffic. I lived on a main road. But so I rented on a main road. And when I went to buy my first home to live in, I didn't give, like, I just didn't even go to homes that were on a main road because I'm like, I'm just not living there. So that was one thing. I also tell people, if you, if you are currently renting or if you're living at mum and dad or you're boarding somewhere and the bathroom is just so old and annoying or the windows don't open in the master bedroom because it's that old, when I go and have a look at the home before I buy it, I want to make sure all that crap that annoys the snot out of me that it is working. So this is more on a personal vibe factor, not necessarily got anything to do with the investment side, but I know the house that I'm living in at the moment, I purchased it to live in and I set the mortgage up in a way that I could make it an investment property down the track. And that means it's an offset account. I'm not paying any extra into it other than the principal and interest repayments, any money that I'm savings on the offset account. And I'm strategic on the money side. So John, in terms of you know, I've touched on the emotional side, like, you know, I want windows that open. I don't want to live on a main road. I might speak to a mortgage broker and an accountant and get some good structural advice. When selecting somewhere to live, what are we looking at in terms of suburbs within, you know, 10 kilometres of where we want to live? Yeah, so I think, and I mentioned it earlier, that um, emotion at one end and financial wealth making a lot of money is at the other end. And we're dancing between the both in those in that question. So it's really hard to pinpoint. Um, like you touched upon a couple of things there that you w- would say are no-brainers for you to live in. You would also apply that regardless of whether it was an investment or an owner rock. So I think the, the key question I would be asking is what's your long-term plan? Are you living in it first and then turning it into an investment or is it investment first? Because if we're not living in it for the longer term, and, and the, the last two or three years have been a perfect example of this. The government's just thrown um, grants and concessions at first homeowners like never before. So it's really common for people to go and take advantage of those knowing that they're only going to live in it for maybe 12 months, two years and then move on. So 
they should be going in with an investment focus, not just let's save 20 grand on stamp duty. Um, so it's having that long-term plan in mind, but if it was going to be an investment for majority of the time, I would wipe out as much emotion as possible and, and just think, yeah, put up with the windows that you don't like. You probably wouldn't go and buy on a busy road anyway, but yeah, looking at the macro indicators of, right, uh, what's happening in that particular area um, from, from a population point of view, supply and demand, what are the vacancy rates like, uh, what's the economy doing, uh, what, what's that general overview and then more the micro indicators of the actual property itself and, and I talked to a lot of people about location versus property type, which one's actually more important to you because um, if it's location, the, the type that we live in is actually secondary and we don't put as much effort into the selection of that. A question, and these are great because you can't think of these up. And if I want to dig deeper into this question, so if someone was like, oh, we want to buy a house and turn it into an investment property, but, you know, we want to start a family. I'm being dramatic. I don't know why. You know what I'm like? <laughs> so if the thing is like we want to buy a home to live in, but we'll probably raise the family there and then maybe in 10 years after high school, then we'll move to, or after primary school, then we'll move to the bigger house. Do you think there's a period of time, like if it was 10 years, who cares, buy a house and enjoy it, but set up the mortgage structure appropriately? Because there's got to be yeah. a point where it's like, who cares? Yeah, well, and that's why it's not a, a one size fits all, is it? Because if it is 10 years, you've got to, there's got to be actually more emotion put into it because you've got to live there for 10 years. And when, when you're talking family, what do families think about the first thing they talk about when they move to an area? Where am I? Kids going to go to school. So that then demands a certain area um, based on what they want out of that. Um, but generally speaking, it's what you can afford to buy at that particular time. And I, I give the example all the time of if you compared at the time, if, you've, if you can afford 450000 uh, but you go in and buy 400000 what does that extra fifty grand get you? If you stretch to the extra four fifty and you can manage that okay, that might be the difference between maybe subdividing it down the track versus not, or getting three bedrooms now, uh, four bedrooms now instead of three bedrooms. I don't know. So you've really got to compare what's on the table at the time. And David, just give us a nod. Do you think Tom would be happy with that response? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you take notes, David? Yeah. So we've got royal assent from Dad. So. Um, thank you. All right, now we've got Jenna. Jenna, what is your question? If I'm looking at starting a business in two to three years, should I be putting my spare money towards investments, either property or shares now, or save it all to cash flow the business? Oh, I love that question. Love it. John? How many years? Sorry? Two to three. Oh, personally, I would be keeping it for the business. Yep. Two to three years, too short a time frame for something to go wrong. Um, it, it, property, too many transaction costs involved unless you put it into bricklet. Um, uh, organic plug. Love that. It, yeah, too many transaction costs to try and get it out in three years' time. I don't think that's a strategy unless you're doing a development or something, turning it over with that type of strategy. Uh, anything else, yeah. If you, if you didn't have that money in three years' time for your business, how would you feel? So, Jenna, what, what, like, you heard John there and we saw you like, Ugh, what are your thoughts? Oh, if I didn't have the money, I'd probably just go to the bank of dad. 
for a loan. Oh, it's shit, we'll done. blow it up. Yeah, just go for it. <laughs> right? If you've got an unlimited pit at your disposal for the next 20 years, then... Not unlimited, but it might be on the table. Uh, and is that a gift from Dad or will it be a loan? Mm, probably a loan. Yeah. Interest-free 80 years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, have you got your dad's contact details? Okay. Oh, let's talk off air. <laughs> so I'm actually 100% double down what John says. You've got, a, you've got financial goals. It's less than five years. You really don't want to have money invested in growth assets, property shares, you know, artwork, special coins, bitcoins, like Aston Martin collectibles, all that stuff, all the good stuff. Uh, but I'm actually looking at it from a different angle and that is because you've got a plan to start a business in two to three years, I want you to be cash heavy because I reckon if you do that thing that we did earlier about the goal setting and really being strategic, I reckon you can be out on your own probably sooner than two to three years. So it would just be good to have that ready to go. Now, I would not suggest that you get a loan. What type of business is it going to be? Um, it would be animal physio. So that type of business probably wouldn't need that much um, capital investment. You'd be more thinking of a loan to provide for your quote-unquote income while you get established. Yeah. So I, I just don't borrow money to start a business because what happens when you borrow money to start a business, you've got no emotional attachment to the money. And just like you have compound interest with uh, your bank account, you can get compounding negative returns. And I've shared on the podcast before, when I started my business, I spent $1,000 on an ad. And that was, it may as well have been $100,000 because I really just didn't have the money. And I never got any ROI on that ad. And then I looked two years later at the ad and I put my wrong phone number. So, <laughs> so the problem is if I just got a loan for 20 grand from mum and dad or from the bank, I could have went, oh, yeah, I'll throw five grand at that. Yeah. So I think it's just a cash flow thing. Animal physio, you could probably, um, I don't think it needs to be all or nothing. I think it could be uh, Saturdays or, you know, after hours in daylight savings. Do you have daylight savings here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, hey, they don't in Queens. Do they in Queensland? No. So, um, so I think it really is something you could cash flow and do on the side. And that's why I think you probably don't need that big chunk of money to do that. Okay. Does that does that help? Yep, sounds good. All right. Thank you. All right, give Jenna right, a hand, Jenna. everyone. Great question. We've got a question from Daniel. He's not here tonight, but his wife is here. And John, would you like to read it or would you want John to? John, can you read Daniel's question? Daniel, uh, no mortgage on own home, mortgages on investment properties, have a nice size share portfolio and healthy savings in the bank. Where to from here? Question mark. Wherever you bloody want. Next question. <laughs> Sheridan asks. <laughs> but I'm serious. serious. Like... You killing it. May I ask uh, your age? Yeah, sweet. So you're under 40, both of you, own your own home. What do you guys do for work? Um, I'm an auditor. He's an electrician. Yeah. So you've worked hard. <clears throat> you've, you've done well. You're at the point where you can literally do what you want. Well, we don't know what else to do with our money. Um, 
We go on holidays all the time. <laughs> okay, so I honestly think uh, you're in a great position and own your, we own our home. So forevermore, amen, we don't have to ever pay for a house overhead. What I do with my money, whether I've got a home mortgage, investment mortgage, I give some, save some, and spend some in that order. You might even do, um, for example, if and I'll make a number up because I don't know your situation. So you might have a spare $30,000 a year. And then if we go give some, save some, spend some, we've got all our lifestyle crap met. We've got our investment loans met. We've got 30 grand spare. Why not go, we give 10 grand away to charity, an extra 10 grand. We spend 10 grand. We do a banging holiday each year. And then we invest that 10 grand. So don't overcook it like you've done well. Just you can probably start to take the foot off the gas and go, what do we want our life to look like? You want to go to Prague in two years and live there? Knock yourself out. You can do whatever you want. You're in a great position. But please give some, save some, spend some in that order and you can't stuff it. I'd be capping out super every year because that's, yeah, free money. John, did you want to add anything to that rant? Yeah, it was a rant, wasn't it? It was. Forgot what the question was now. They're um, rich. What I, do we do? First of all, congratulations. Give her a round of applause. That's an awesome effort. Um, and I think I think we should embrace that. Um, they've done well. As you said, don't know the situation, but they've obviously um, got some good things happening there and have, and have done well over a period of time. So... I would actually put the foot on the gas, not, Ooh, not take it off. Baby. Because Talking if we're asking if we're asking that question, I think it's leading somewhere. I think it's leading to, well, I want to actually do something more than what we've already got. But so, it doesn't have to be investing. Well, this is my rant. You've yeah, had yours. No, and it doesn't have to be investing and what you've said is is right. You want to give some, you want to enjoy some and, and there's a portion of it that you're going to um, pull out and say, well, what am I doing in the investing space? Uh, but looking at, I would look into the next 20 years. What's um, Daniel? 35. So, okay, where does he want to be when he's 55? Um, do we know the answer to that yet? If not, I'd start to jot a few things down and, and then reverse engineer it and say, well, okay, now that we know maybe what we want in 20 years, what do we want in the next three to five? Um, can we uh, pull some equity out of our home because we've got no debt on it? Because everything we use when we pull that out, if we use it for income producing assets, it's, it's going to be continued good debt. Um, obviously, you don't want to go into negative territory from a yield point of view. So what we buy is, is important, I believe. Um, what your appetite for shares versus property is and, and just monitoring it that way. But I think, and I'm just making this up, but at the, at the moment, we maybe don't know what we want right into the distance to understand what we can, what our next step's going to be. Yeah. Good problem. It's a great problem to have. And I'll echo your points that in the My Millennial Money community, we will always champion people that do well as long as you give them back. Can I ask, is there sure. a point at which where you cap, like, you know, you guys are obviously talking about like Rushula and Daniel have reached this point. And for yourself, Glenn, like, do you cap it at a price point where you think, all right, you've made it, 
exactly spend some say some whatever it was like you know yeah i in my own life um if you always have those thresholds like it really doesn't matter because you know i give more now than i gave when i was you know eight years ago i save more now than I did eight years ago and I bloody spend more. And for me, yeah, it just keeps me in check with lifestyle inflation to a point. And I think the re like the moment we stop giving financially to people in, you know, worse situations, particularly in Australia, particularly for everyone in the room who's privileged enough to, to be here to even hear this. Uh, and it's really, it's a thing that I've, it's been always on my heart, but if you are up to your eyeballs in debt, if you are a single parent who's trying to put food on your table, well, keep your money. Forget giving your money away. But to, um, to Ursula and Daniel, you know, okay, we're in a really good position for ourselves. Now we can really give back. But that goes to a, a personal constitution around your own conviction about giving and generosity. And that's right. And you'll never be worse off by giving money away. And my mentor said to me um, many years ago, he said, you can't give anything away because it always comes back. Boomerangs included. Boomerangs included. All right, there's a thing uh, that got sent to me by an accountant this week uh, and it was an article and I think the magazine or the online thing's called Accountants Daily. So exciting read, right? Um, <laughs> And it's by the author or the journalist, whatever they are, uh, Jonathan Lean. Uh, the title was Crypto Crackdown Underway as ATO Locks in Data Matching Program. Over 600,000 Australians who have invested in cryptocurrency will now be unable to hide from their tax obligation as the ATO extends its data matching program to 2023. The ATO's data matching program, first launched in April 2019, will now scrutinise cryptocurrency transactions and account information uh, from designated service providers for a further three financial years. So basically what that means is, put your hand up if you invest in crypto or hold crypto. So basically the platform that you're investing on send data to the ATO. So you just can't hide from it. So you just need to know that if you do your own tax returns, the ATO will know that you hold it. And if you have sold it, you have to declare it. So that's just a little thing that's happening. The ATL is still data matching for the next uh, couple of years. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back now. <laughs> Where is Sheridan? Here we go. I'm going to come around. Shivers, sorry. Sheridan, here's a question. Glenn, can you please go on a rant about the last thing that annoyed you? The last thing that annoyed me? Well, not including the Uber driver on the way here that stank. <laughs> oh, it was true. That annoyed me. Not include. What's with hotel check-ins? Why does it take 20 minutes to check in? That annoyed me. But I'll tell you what annoyed me, John. What? This week. 
someone sent me a screenshot of a dodgy website that used my photo promoting WanPay in China that Glenn James endorsed this program and which I'll edit the name out because I I forget that I caused drama. (laughs) And on the website that it was advertised on, it looked like I endorsed WanPay and you click the article and they've got all these photos from our YouTube. You were on there. One of your photos was there. Really? And there was a photo of me with my laptop and it said, Glenn even whipped out his laptop to show everyone how much money he was making. Really? Yeah. That was... It was legit fake news. It's fake news, fake news. (laughs) And I just want to let everyone know, Glenn James will never endorse any trading, Forex, cryptocurrency, anything like that. If you see something that looks sus, please shoot My Millennial Money Facebook or Instagram, let us know. But I like money as much as the next person, but we just will not be associated with crap like that, fraudulent or legit. Wow. So that really annoyed me. Yeah. But I think the Uber driver annoyed me more. (laughs) Because it was really hot in there and I opened the window. He's like, oh, are you hot? I'm like, I'm hot and you bloody stink. And the hotel room's 300 metres from here, actually. (laughs) Yes, Jess Jess and John walked down. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't help. (laughs) Yeah. Exercise. It was an $8 Uber. But I had the heavy things. (laughs) Wow. Okay, I'm going to ask Jenny to come down. Would you mind, Jenny? Jenny's got two questions. I was after some info on debt recycling. All right. So debt recycling, thank you so much. Uh, And you had a question that we might get you to ask John offline. Mm -hmm. Uh, Saving for a redevelopment of a property, can it sit in shares? So risque. Um, (laughs) But in all seriousness, if we're saving for something... If we're saving and it's over five years away, we can look at growth assets. If we're saving and it's within five years, we'll probably keep it in cash or on our offset. Which is tied into the debt recycling. Okay, so if you haven't heard of debt recycling, you can grab a seat. Thank you, Jenny. Give her a hand, everyone. So effectively, debt recycling, what it is, has anyone heard of it? No? A few people? For those who haven't heard of quote-unquote debt recycling, what you can do, you can effectively recycle your deductible and non-deductible debt on your mortgage. And if you had, we'll make a number up, $200,000 worth of usable equity in your home, you might set up a separate mortgage, invest that $200,000 into equities, and then use the dividends to pay back down the home mortgage And then over time, what happens is you're now claiming the $200,000 of debt on your tax return because it's used to invest in shares. And then you're also pumping the home mortgage debt. And I think it's important to note that the debt recycling thing, you've got to be very clear. And I would suggest getting financial advice because you've got to really work out, is this a debt recycling strategy or is it a gearing strategy? So a gearing strategy might be, I'm going to get a mortgage on the house at 3%, invest that, and you put that money maybe into some low, like small cap companies or companies that you think are going to grow really fast, really soon. So that could be a gearing strategy. I'm gearing, so I'm borrowing money 
to invest in growth assets. Because when you buy an investment property, you're just using a gearing strategy. Because if you had cash, you might just choose to buy the investment property outright. But with shares, if you want to turn it up to 11, you might borrow money and invest it. So that's why it's very clear to get some advice, whether it's a gearing strategy or we're doing debt recycling. Sometimes with debt recycling strategies, you might set up a portfolio that is what they call a a dividend portfolio or an imputation portfolio to really pay out dividends faster and not go for the quote unquote capital growth. Did that confuse you? Because I'm a bit confused. Mm, So am I. But anyway, let's um, let's just... (laughs) So we spoke before about in that example where we had no bad debt on our owner-occupier home. So I refer to that as bad debt and I refer good debt as a loan you've taken out for something that's an income-producing asset like an investment property. So essentially what we're saying here is we want to reduce the bad debt as the good debt uh, stays at that level and slightly increases, but the yield that the good debt's producing is going down to reduce that bad debt even further, even faster. Right, so it's just a. If you've got a, um, it's not a pie chart, a another chart. Graph, sort of. Uh, no. Gantt chart. Gantt. No, nah. <laughs> it's a good word, Gantt. Love it. So, if I had a whiteboard, I'd do it. But yeah, so over time, if you look at that every twelve months and say, right, my bad debt's there, and now twelve months later it's there. My good debt's here. Twelve months later it might be there. But the cash flow of the good debt over here is taking care of itself. So essentially the way I saw it way back when is that if I've got no bad debt in my life and I've got a truckload of good debt that's taking care of itself because of the cash flow in it, um, I'm essentially uh, lifestyle positive, right? I've got no bad debt. So I can, it gives me so many choices in my life. Right, and let that portfolio do its thing. Thanks so much for coming out tonight. I've had such a fun time and there's still tickets to Sydney and Melbourne has moved to this Friday the 16th of July. Yes. So if you're out there and you want to come and say hi, you can have a fun night. We'll leave it there. Thank you yeah. so much, Adelaide, for coming. You've been real. I've been Glenn. He's been John. Good night. All right. Good night. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.